welcome to the show. And if you could really quick, uh, just make sure, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel and hit that like button on the video. That will help me out and help more people find the episode. And I really want to get this out to as many people as possible uh, because we're discussing a very important subject today. It's really two subjects, homelessness and the opioid crisis, uh, and they are really connected. And my guest today, Art Castro, he has a YouTube channel called Lost in Phoenix, and he's finally shining a light on this issue. And I feel like it's been ignored for the most part. I rarely see any news stories about it. But yet, if you live near a big city, you can't avoid it. And I'll never forget the time I was back home in Seattle, and I drove downtown and I saw a bunch of blue tarps, and I thought, oh, there's like a festival or some sort of event happening. But uh, it was actually just a homeless encampment. And I think the problem has gotten worse there and it's starting to get worse here in Phoenix. So what Art is doing is hitting the streets and he's just talking to homeless people. And it's really quite fascinating and extremely heartbreaking, of course, but it's it's very important and educational for all of us to learn about the face. I mean, I think you drive by and you just see, you know, a homeless encampment or a homeless person and you don't really get to know their story. And so before watching Art's channel, I didn't know what blues were. And so you're gonna learn what those are. You're gonna learn about some of the people Art has encountered on his journey. And we're also gonna talk about maybe what we can do to turn this all around. So here we go, enjoy Art Castro. Please welcome Art Castro to the show. How are you doing, Art? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, so I mean, you've seen my channel, I've seen your channel. Uh, we both have YouTube channels and uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of rock stars and things like that. But I think honestly, like you are like the true rock star with the stuff you're doing right now. I, I was like really impressed and I'm glad that I found your channel through uh, our mutual friend, Nick Grimsman. Awesome. Yeah. That's how I found I was, uh, cause you had interviewed him uh, just because of his campaign or so. I don't know why he was on your channel. He's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, he reached out to me and he's uh, running for, uh, Phoenix, Phoenix city council, right. Mm -hmm, District mm -hmm. eight, I believe. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we talked and interviewed him and, uh, hopefully his campaign is doing good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. He was on my, uh, show promoting his book. So, but let's talk about you. So you're, you were just a typical kid growing up in Phoenix in the inner city. And, uh, you know, you did good in uh, elementary and high school and, and you never got into the the drugs and the gangs, but that was all around you in, in Phoenix, right? Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, I, that never, never crossed my mind to try, you know, gangs or drugs. And, um, but, uh, it was all around me, definitely the influence and peer pressure and friends. Right. So, uh, so I've been exposed to it, but never partook in it. So. And, and fa was there family members too? Is that part of your reasoning for starting the uh, YouTube channel? Because you had family members affected by this. Right. I've had family members that have lived that type of lifestyle. And so it's a good way for me to understand, you know, have the same upbringing, same family, same morals. But sometimes people make poor choices and sometimes we have to live the, with the consequences of those choices. So this has been a good way for me to understand, you know, why people do that. And also therapeutic for like my mom so she can understand, you know, uh, it's kind of like therapy for her to, you know, to see under try to understand and she knows the viewpoint of a mom you know living mm. with not knowing where their 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 child is at because they've decided to be out in the streets yeah so explain to me so i mean i'll, I'll do the introduction before this and explain to uh, the guests what your channel is and what you do um but basically so your channel is called lost in phoenix and what you do is you walk you go around and 
and you interview homeless kids who most of them, it seems like, are addicted to opiates. That's correct, right? So here in Phoenix, uh, it's hitting us really hard. And uh, uh, on the streets, they're called blues, but they're really uh, counterfeit uh, pressed pills, right? So the cartels are buying chemicals from China to make fentanyl. And they're making fake Percocets, fake oxycodone. They're 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 uh, pressing them, making them over there in Mexico, bring them, um, um, smuggling them in, into Arizona. Arizona's always been the Phoenix has always been like the distribution point, right, mm. for human smuggling and just drugs in general, marijuana, cocaine, whatnot. So the cartels are like, um, you know what, we're gonna start making. Uh, fentanyl, right? Uh, these pills, and that's why they're so cheap because they're just they're easily made. And so they order the ingredients from China, correct? And right. then they make it in some sort of lab in in Mexico, and then they have all these pills, and then they they smuggle them across the border. That's correct. Okay, and they they've been pushing this stuff more now because partly because weed is legal in a lot of states, so they're not making as much from marijuana. So they've got to push something else. So they're pushing the fentanyl. And like you said, it's cheap. Correct. So like the, the DEA has shown um, that in like 2018, 2019, the, um, at the border, they were uh, the tons of um, intercepted um, marijuana barrel uh, bundles were less and less decreasing mm -hmm. every year. Why? Huh. Because now it's legal here. They're growing it here. Yeah. So there's no need. So they're like cartel. Like, Hey, we're losing business. So we're going to have to create new business. And so that's when they started going into the uh, counterfeit pills. Is part of it too. The pharmaceutical companies have really been pushing these, the, the legal version of these pills. And that's for some of these people, that's how they got started. was like they had a back surgery or something like that. Right. So what I've heard is uh, years ago, uh, the Percocets and oxycodone, the, the, the pr prescription pills, uh, people would have a bad back uh, car accident. The doctor would prescribe them these pills and they would get addicted. And when the doctor would notice that they're addicted, they would stop the pr uh, prescription and then they would have to look for the pills. Uh, and so you could find a real pill uh, out in the streets for $40, $50 until the, but that's when the uh, cartel stepped in and said, Hey, we got these pills for $5, you know, 10, it's 15, 10. They keep going down because the quantity keeps increasing here in Phoenix. Was it your channel or somewhere else that I heard? Was it that fentanyl is, is it 50 times more powerful than heroin and a hundred times more power, powerful than morphine? Or maybe I'd mix those two up. That's correct. Right. Oh, that one's so right. that's okay. how potent it is. Uh, right. That's how potent it is. It's a uh, 50 times uh, stronger than heroin, a hundred times stronger than morphine. But the bad thing is that there's no quality control in Mexico right. when they're making them. So the dosage is off on all of them, you know? And so it's a gamble as to which pill you smoke because, you know, you smoke one pill, but it's really, you know, it has a potency of 10, 20, 30 all at once. And some there's people are overdosing. Yeah. It's, it's very common. So you decided you're going to start this channel. I mean, so you just like, you just grab a camera and you just say, all right, I'm just going to go talk to somebody or what, tell me like the, walk me through the first day of doing this. Like where you must've been apprehensive or scared a little bit or, um, yeah, it was, uh, 
I decided to um, inform myself, become more knowledgeable on what I'm seeing. So I decided to start asking these questions, right? What is that, right? right? What, what, are you, what are you smoking? What, what does it feel like? What's it called? How much do you pay for it? How do you make money for that, right? So it's really an educational journey for me to mm-hmm. try to understand what's going on in our community and raise awareness, Right. Because if I'm from the inner city and I grew up in, in, you know, in an environment of gangs and and drugs and I don't know about this new drug or what's happening to our young people, you know, that's that's worrisome for the suburbians that that don't know. Right. So politicians that have no clue about what's going on, the decision makers uh, that should be knowing what's going on with our community. So it's really a a campaign of awareness that I'm going on and and trying to educate as many people as possible. Right. And so I think, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, how this process went about. I don't know. Did you say, cause I think you said that the original pills are like 30 or $40 or that, and that's what the street value was five or six years ago, but isn't it now you can get a fentanyl pill for $5 or even maybe as low as $2 if you buy in bulk. That's correct. Right. So right now, one pill, $5 here in Phoenix. If you buy uh, 100, they'll drop down to $2, $1 because it's bulk. Right. So that's how um, prevalent. That's how uh, when you have so much quantity, you know, and they're still making a profit off of that. uh, Definitely. Yeah. It's that cheap to make. It must be super cheap then if they're making profit off a $2 pill. Exactly. Because it's quantity. So can you imagine what's flooding, yeah. what's flooding the, the market right now? That's why it's, it's, it's so prevalent all over our community. It's not just here in Phoenix, you know, I can go to Mesa, find people, Peoria, anywhere in the Valley, I'll come find you groups of people that are living this lifestyle, unfortunately. And do they catch any of these people going across the border? Do they make any drug stops? Do they, or do they try to go into the Mexico and find where they're making this and, and stop them that way? Or there is a, um, the, the, uh, task, there's a task force in Arizona uh. that does try to, uh, interdict, try to stop this. And they do, uh, we hear about it sometimes, you know, you'll, uh, they'll announce it and on, on TV, you know, 50, pounds of hmm. fentanyl pills have been you know stopped here in Casa Grande and whatnot almost on a weekly basis and so uh you know two million dollars worth of fentanyl pills were you know discovered in somebody's backpack or somebody's uh some guy brought some back some fish but inside the the container was lined with the uh, pills so that was just last week oh wow so but that's a small portion of what's going what's you know getting through. Right. So it's still enough to, it's not going to, there's no shortage, no shortage at all. Okay. So what are some of the uh, themes that you've seen in, in, um, with these cases, you, you say that there's usually some sort of family breakdown. There's the support is not there for a lot of these people that end up on the street addicted to pills. Right. The, what I'm discovering is that there's a family dynamic that's missing a father, probably not there. The mom probably works two jobs and so the, the 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 children are they come after school and they have no guidance, nobody to support them and tell them right from wrong. And so who raises them the street? You know, their friends. And so um, without that support, uh, they they're making bad decisions and um, they're they're the ones that are out there struggling. And so sometimes when I approach people, I'll ask them, you know, I can be your a mentor, you know, I can, you know, I, not everybody has a, a, 
white picket fence and a house and a mom and a dad and all mm-hmm. that. But we don't make you know bad decisions. You know, even more because of the the lifestyle we've had or what we haven't had. So I try to talk to them like a like a like a you know like a friend and let them know that, that you know we have to do better for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you offer yourself as a mentor, or a father figure, a big big brother. Do people take you up on that? Do they? I've had people call me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I give them my my cell phone number and uh, here's my card and call me and uh, do you need if you need food I'll bring you some it's, it's hot in Phoenix of course uh, you need water need a ride want to go to treatment you know I'll, I'll help you go to treatment or I'll help you sign in um, and so people have called me uh, in the past and I've had conversations with them because sometimes they want a friend right mm-hmm. they want to talk about things that on the streets they can't talk about because they don't you know that that doesn't exist with some you know they don't they don't have those type of relationships and sometimes I'm finding that some people really do want that father figure. They do want that mentor and and a friend, you know, to re, uh, rely on. But um, but ultimately, the decision is on them right. to decide to you know get better for themselves. So help is usually available, there's, not just from you, but there's so there's a lot of services out there. Is that it, that's not the problem, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll hear from people that say, you know, the, 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 the politicians, the, the state, the government should really do something. And there really are services out there for these folks, right? Shelters, uh, treatment centers. Uh, but ultimately, it lies with them to seek help for themselves because I can take, you know, I can take people to treatment center, but if they don't want it, they just leave. The yeah. treatment center mm-hmm. won't keep you because it, it's it's you have to, it can't be by force, right? You can't force can it somebody. sometimes though if they're if they're arrested for something if they if theft or or there are some crimes that they can no no is yeah. that not in this state in other states I feel like you it's definitely not in this state I, okay. I've known people that have been arrested and and they get arrested for whatever you know shoplifting they go to jail for a day two days or whatever um, one gentleman. He had a warrant and he had a, he agreed because of COVID, the courts, if you have like something that you're going to do six months, they'll knock it down to a month or less than a month because of COVID. So to keep the jails not so packed. So um, he, he told me, yeah, I, 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 I did a deal with the with the state and they gave me 10 days when I should have done more. So in those 10 days, huh. no treatment. No, no, nothing. But then they also don't get the fentanyl. So don't they have the withdrawals really bad? Yes. So how do they They, deal with those? Yeah, they get sick and there's like a sick ward where they put them in there. But, you know, Uh. it's just like a cold or flu to them, you know, even though they know that they're sick and they're withdrawing, there's no treatment in jail. So, um, so it's, it's interesting. And that's where probably the, and this gentleman got out after 10 days and, He's back on the street. He doesn't have support, no family. So 10 days later, he's clean. He looks way better, mm-hmm. but he's out there. But so did he go right back to fentanyl then? Went straight back. He's still out there. I just talked to him last week. <sighs> so you have like, is it, I don't know if this number is accurate. You have like 60 pictures of people that family members have asked you to keep an eye on. Like, how do you keep all those people straight? 60 different people that... Family members are trying to keep have you keep an eye on. I mean, that's a lot of uh, juggling, right? So that's a that's a different aspect. That uh, when I started this channel, I didn't think you know people would reach out to me. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm in Washington. My name is Joe, 
but my mom, I haven't seen her in five years, but I know she's in Phoenix. I know that you're out here interviewing people on the streets. Do you mind if I send you my mom's picture? And if you see her, please let me know. So it's turned into that. And so I'm, wow, that's I'm so sad. Uh, that's extremely so sad. It's like five years or, or, or whatever the time period is. These people have completely lost touch with a family member, a parent, a son or daughter. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the case. And they know that they're homeless. They know that they're on drugs. They just don't know where it's in Phoenix somewhere. Right. Um, I don't think she's in jail. They said, because I've called the, the, mm-hmm. the police. Okay. I've called the, the morgue. Oh, so they're not deceased or they didn't find the body or whatever. I mean, that's like, this sounds morbid, but I mean, that's where we're at with some of this stuff, huh? Yeah. And I've had lots of, lots of those cases where I haven't seen my brother, my sister, my this, my that. And so it's kind of scary what's going on. Where are they? You know? And so it's turned into like a little database of, of, um, of missing people. And Basically. you're, and this is like, this should not be your job. There should be somebody that's in charge of this, like a, a agency or something that you would think you would think, think. but sometimes you got to take it upon yourself to, you know, make uh, just shine, shine a light on this. And it, okay. and it does help because they appreciate it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell them no, the family, right? Oh, not, no, no, never mind. Yeah. I'm going to say, yes, yeah. Send me the picture. Do and you find people? Do you find some of them? No. I, I haven't not oh. one not any of those sixty you know okay. I, I'm up to about seventy now but um wow. uh, and I take notes on these people and where they were seen mm. and how they'll give me description they're about you know six foot one hundred and twenty pounds last time I saw him and where know. do you think do you think these people are dead or do you think they're moved to a different city or what do you think happened to them uh, uh Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the nation you know one point. 5 million people here in the city. They're, they're probably lost here. They're most likely doing drugs. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's just so many people they're lost in the shuffle. That's so sad. So I, I kind of, I think I kind of asked you this now. I I think we kind of got off topic a little bit, but do you, so like when you first started it, were you apprehensive or just do you ever fear for your safety or do you ever get worried about being robbed or, or anything when you're chatting with these people? I mean, that would be one of my biggest fears is, I would be apprehensive, like, because you, you hear the stories where they say that this stuff happens all the time where people are robbed and all these the violence and stuff. You, you worry about that for yourself though. Safety is my number one concern, but, um, you know, growing up in the inner city, you, you're, you're self-aware and I'm comfortable in that environment, hmm. you know, to a certain extent. I mean, I know when danger, you know, I have yeah. like six cents for danger. And Are you not, I don't think it. I also heard you're ex-military. So you might have a little bit of training to take care of yourself if something did go down. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I was in the military as well. So that, that helps. Okay. And so it's just having an awareness and who to approach, who not to approach. So you got to be aware of that. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these cases that, I mean, they're just heartbreaking. I didn't, I haven't seen everyone, but Carlos, do you remember this one? Cause this was the first, I think it was the first one on your channel or, or I don't know if there's other ones before that was deleted, but that was the first one, right? Carlos was the first one, 21 years old. Um, he has a home with his mom, but Carlos is homosexual. He has a boyfriend. His mom does not accept the boyfriend so Carlos chooses to be out in the street with his boyfriend. So huh. this was last November. Uh, I saw Carlos about two months ago again. He's looking worse. He's still out in the streets. He didn't want to do an update, an interview, uh, but um, he, he's not looking good. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, he was smoking Percocets, right? It was, uh, it was blues. 
Please. You know, some people call them Percocets, some people, some Perks, Percocets, Oxys, Oxycontins, but they're really the $5. They're all the same they're fentanyl. All, they're all the same. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it's sad because I remember you asked him, like, you know, did you have another goal? And he said he wanted to be an FBI agent and, and profile serial killers. He thought it was really interesting, the psychology. And I thought, well, yeah, I think that's interesting to a lot of people. And I think he's got to be somewhat intelligent to even kind of like consider that as a career. So it's just sad to see that potential, but there's still possible hope for him, right? I mean, he's still out there. He's still out there. He's 22 now and uh, he's still young. Uh, and he's uh, so I record about five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking to them, but mm-hmm. I talk to them, you know, 30 minutes sometimes before I record 30 okay. minutes after I record. And so I get to know them a little bit better, a little bit more, right. Uh, during when I'm talking to them. So definitely lots of potential, articulate, smart, you know, uh, wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I think he's just a good person that's just lost right now, like most of them. Mm-hmm. So I hope that one day he decides to um, get treatment and just live a better lifestyle. Yeah. Jesus, he's 22 at the time of uh, the interview with him, and he'd been addicted to blues for three years. He'd never done pr- professional treatment. And this was scary about this case was that he had OD'd many times and they had had to use Narcam, which I learned, just learned about that when I used to work in the schools. But Narcam is a thing that they can give you if you're ODing to save your life, basically. Uh, whatever, it's like some sort of, uh, uh, is it like a, a adrenaline kind of thing? Right, it's a, it counteracts the effects of, of uh, kind of wakes you up, basically, mm-hmm. right? So I carry Narcan. Uh, there are three injections, uh, but there's also a nasal spray. Mm. Uh, so um, Jesus... Uh, um, that's probably my, uh, that's probably the one that I refer to the most. That's a really positive story. Um, the young man was knocked out on a sidewalk. I yeah. approached him and you thought he was dead, right? I literally thought he was dead cause he looked deceased just the way he was laying and just, it didn't look good. Now that was my first concern. Like, you know, I'm about to find, you know, a body basically. Right. And so, uh, I touched him and whoa, you woke up. So I'm like, good. Um, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And then uh, we went away from the street and ended up talking to him. And um, uh, basically, he's telling me the same story, right? And his, his age and three years. And he's from Tucson, but he's been here in Phoenix for the past three years. And I asked him, um, do you miss your family? He said, yes. Do you have a message for your mom? And in Spanish, he says, you know, mom, please forgive me, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was, you know, touching and I wished him well and please get treatment. You know, my same message. And here's my my contact information. Please call me. I'll take you. Um, well, that same day. All of Tucson's calling me. Right. Because on my page, I have my contact information. Mm -hmm. And so he was a very popular young man in Tucson. He was a football player, just a good hearted young man. And they hadn't seen him in almost three years. So his mom, cousin, sisters, brother, everybody's his friends. Right. And one thing I don't do is I used to do it when I was when I started my page just giving out, hey, I'm on, you know, on this corner and this corner, you know, but I learned right away. Don't do that because there's some people that don't have good intentions. So don't give out people's locations. And when people reach out to me and say, hey, that's 
my so-and-so tell me where they're at. Like, eh, you know what? I'd rather not because if something happens to that individual because the information I'm giving you, I don't want to be responsible. So how about if I find Jesus and I'll take him to you? You know, so it took me two weeks to find him again. Oh, really? He doesn't hang out in the same spot or they're homeless. You know, they're homeless. But don't they they have like a a corner? A lot of them have tents, I feel like. And uh, yeah, some uh, of them, some, some of them do have tents, but business owners, rivals, um, uh, the police. Hey, you can't sleep here. Hey, you can't hang around here. You know, so they scatter, you know, they get in fights. They, you know, people are looking for them, not for the good reasons, right? They're, you know, they owe people money or they stole something. So, um, it took me two weeks every day after work to go and and find them. I ended up finding them. And, um, I was so happy when I found them. Right. And I approached them. I was like, Jesus, do you remember me? He said, yeah, come on, dude, let's, let's go get food. He followed me. He gets in my car. I give him my cell phone. I said, call your mom. He calls his mom and he's like, hey, mom. And she's like, who's this? You know, it's Jesus. And um, and she starts, oh, my God, like, you know, I've been looking for you. Who Whose phone are you using? The the, the YouTube guy, you know, he, he, the interviewer, he, he let me borrow his phone. I said, tell her that we're going to get you some food right now. Where is she? After we get food, I'll take you to her. And she was five minutes away, you know, close nearby because she was looking for him. And so um, uh, we got him food. He's eating while I'm driving. And 10 minutes after that, you know, he's, I made a little two minute video of me reuniting him yeah, with his, with his cool. mom. So that embrace, you know, after a mom not seeing her child, not knowing if he's alive, not knowing if he's in jail, that was beautiful, you know, and that's what it's all about right now. Um, uh, right now, he's uh, people tell me from Tucson because I have subscribers in Tucson mm-hmm. that he's doing better. Hmm. He's working and he's good. He's clean. He's clean. Wow. He looks like a totally different person. That's awesome. So that's a success story. And that's what we need more of those, right? Because yeah. there is uh, um, um, hope in recovery, right? Mm-hmm. People do transform. Absolutely. So that's, that's what I love about your channel. Yeah. And I think it gives people hope. Um, let's, let's highlight some other people. Uh, Tony, this kid's only 17. And um, I think he said that he saw his friend get shot. And he's been robbed himself at gunpoint a few times. That's why I worry about, you know, your safety. And he's... What is he selling candy and wiping down windshields for 30, 40 bucks a day? But you said he was like, you saw him at like a gas station. He was like, he was working. He was hustling. Like, so he's a hustler. Like, I mean, this kid's got some potential. Is there any updates on him? Is um, uh, the update on him would be that uh, soon after posting that video, probably a month later, um, his somebody that said that's his sister got on there and said, Hey, he's not 17. He's 21. I don't know why he's lying, hmm. but, um, but he's, he, I know he is out there because in the video that young man said that he isn't using, but he's definitely using. So sometimes they're not, they're not upfront with, with what they're doing, but it is true that I was, I was at the gas station getting gas and he's sweeping. So some, that's something they do. They'll, they'll, they, the, the gas station owner or whatever say, Hey, you know, I'll give you, 
you know, some money for you to sweep and clean or throw a trash or whatever. So that's a little hustle that they do or they'll wipe okay. windows or they'll open the door for you and, you know, huh. expect some change or whatever. So that's the one way that they make money. Okay. But then at the same time, they're using that money to buy their blues, right? Uh, most likely. But I do know that they still need to eat. Right. right. They sure. still need food. They go to McDonald's, probably their favorite place or just uh, food, just fast food is what I see usually that they consume on a, on, you know, they probably don't eat three meals a day, but they still need to eat and, and drink. Yeah. Cause it, so they, I think the one, what, uh, Jesus was doing what was a hundred dollar habit a day and that's still, that's a lot, but at the same time, it's not that much compared to like what, uh, some other more expensive drugs would cost. Right. Right. It's, um, it's, it's all over the place. The range, how many pills do you do? Yeah. Two, 20, 50, a hundred, you know? So it's all over the and place. And do they do like, is it usually just one at a time and then it lasts 30 minutes or how does that, is it a thing where they take like five and then they're good for a few hours or how does that work? Uh, so it's uh, one pill. The pills are really small. Sure. Um, and it's one pill on aluminum foil and they get a lighter underneath the foil and they smoke it with the straw and supposedly it just varies. Some people feel the high for five minutes. Some people feel it for 30 minutes. Some people feel it for an hour. It just depends on body composition, metabolism, body weight. Uh, if you just recently started doing them or you've been, you're a pro that's mm-hmm. been doing it for five years, you okay. probably need them a little bit more regular because your body right. adjusts to it and needs more and more. So supposedly the way they're being... Um, they were created and designed, you know, uh, like a pharmacist designed them for you to have a short high and you need more of them, like very addicting, you know. Mm. And so that's kind of scary when they're getting that good to design a mm-hmm. product that needs to be consumed like constantly because that's just a profit. Well, machine. yeah, because wasn't a lot of this stuff was designed originally, not the counterfeit uh, ones that the cartels making, but the original legit uh oxycontins and oxycodones or whatever weren't they designed for hospice these these were designed to put people to let people have a little bit of relief because they're in so much pain that they're they're dying not for 21 year old healthy kids numb the pain numb the pain right so if you have cancer and it yeah. hurts they, yeah. they're giving these pills uh to numb the pain and so these are op- opioids and these kids and I'll ask them are you numbing a pain are you, yeah, my, my ex-girlfriend died or so the, yeah, there's a pain that I'm numbing. My mom died. I'm numbing that pain. So, and I'll ask, what do you feel? I feel nothing. That's, that's what I like about them is that I'm just, I feel nothing at all, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what they're chasing. And then sometimes I'll ask them like, do you still get high that numbness or now are you taking the pills because you're trying to cure your withdrawals? Withdrawals, yeah. And so uh, it's half and half. Some are still chasing that high and some, the other half are, I don't want to feel the withdrawal. So I need to take the pill. Yeah. But it's not, uh, it's interesting. I heard somebody talking about this earlier today and they were saying that it's not a character defect to get addicted to these things because that's what they're designed to do. In fact, they, they, they make mice addicted to these drugs. Like these drugs are, but the problem is the only character thing would be like, deciding to do it in the first place. Cause that's like when you make that, like you said, poor decisions, when you make that decision, it's like you're going down that road. It's almost like you can't turn back. It's a lot. It's really hard. It's 
it's really hard. You know, like we just highlighted Jesus and it took him three years to turn it around. Three years lost, mm -hmm. three years near death. Right. Yeah. And so that's a big gamble with your life, you know, and you'll never get those three years back yeah. the time with it. And then what are the long-term effects to his body, his mind, you know, taking that, yeah. the, those chemicals? I'm not sure. What's the, so you interviewed a, a couple, uh, Jen and Robert, they're homeless and addicted to drugs. Um, Jen was clearly dealing with some mental health issues and, um, they, they were talking about, uh, they saw a 13 year old that was out smoking and selling drugs and they thought he actually might've been younger. Now you said the other kid was said he was 17, but he was actually 21. Like how young, what's the youngest you, you think they thought they, they were saying this kid might've been eight. The youngest that I've seen personally was 15, but so that's, they said 13, yeah. this other person I've asked or tw 12, 14, 15, you know, um, 11, 12, uh, I interviewed, I uploaded a video a couple of days ago and that couple said the youngest they've seen was 12 and he was with his mom. So the mom oh. and the 12 year old are out there in the streets. The boy is now 14. They're still on the streets. Mm. So talk about sad where they don't have a chance if the mom is, you know, hand in hand with them out in the streets, you know, that's very disappointing, you know, and that's when we as a society need to step in. When somebody's a grown adult and deciding to live like that, they're adults. Mm -hmm. But when you're 12, you have no yeah. shot at life. No, that's a child protective service thing for sure. Right. Um, God, this one was just heartbreaking. Uh, Michael Anthony, uh, how do I say his last name? Arigia? Ariza. Ariza. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I had that totally wrong. But you interviewed him. He was doing 20 blues uh, or sorry, 20 blues a day. And then he went down to two or three a day. And then he went, he was completely sober, uh, sober, right? He was doing methadone. And at the time you said, it sounded like he was motivated to get clean and, and live a better life for himself and his kids. He had kids, correct? Yes. Uh, Michael, I remember him. He's a uh, gosh, was it two, three months ago? I, I talked to him originally. I yeah, interviewed him yeah. and I met him outside of a, um, a, re a rehabilitation center. That's where I met him. Huh. And uh, he had tapered down right off of the blues and was using methadone to help him just totally be clean. And I want to start my business. I want to, you know, be there for my, for my uh, family. And uh, I just got the news, gosh, what was it? Two weeks ago uh, from his family that uh, he was, um, the police were looking for him because, uh, allegedly he had, he had stabbed and murdered his father. And, um, and a couple of days after that, the police did end up arresting the young man. So, uh, that's unfortunate because his father is deceased now. He, you know, if it's truth, you know, what they say that he did it, he'll be in jail for, he'll, he'll get out when he's 60 maybe. So, um, it's just tragic what happens, right? When mm -hmm. that lifestyle, nothing good comes from this lifestyle. Right. And that's when I don't bring that up to, uh, stir up uh, emotional pain for anybody, but I feel like we can learn from something like that. Like this is a path that some of these other kids may be on. I mean, or why would you want to go down that route? I mean, not for only the kids that are out there right now, but Maybe if anybody's listening and if they ever thought of like trying this drug, I mean, this is the kind of things that I feel like should be taught in schools. Like these kind of examples and things should be shown to kids. Like this is a path that, you know, you will go down if you start taking blues or whatever. Cause I feel like maybe a lot of them were just naive and didn't realize how bad this path could go. I mean, it seems like most of the ones you interview when you ask them those questions, like 
you know, what advice would you give to somebody like, don't ever do this? Don't try this. And it was interesting. One of the girls, I think I had, uh, wrote a note down. I think, was it, um, Oh, was a Brandy. You'd done a zoom interview. She was, she was totally clean. It was like a zoom interview that you had done about, and she was, you guys were talking about drug addiction and she had an interesting point where she said, you know, they didn't tell you how, how what it was like in school. They said, don't do drugs cause it's bad, but they didn't really get into why. And she said, they didn't tell you you're going to lose all your money. They didn't tell you that, um, you're going to have these really terrible withdrawal symptoms where you're, you know, it's like the worst flu of your life. They don't go into the details about that. That's absolutely true. I remember when I was a kid, uh, the don't, you know, just say no, um, campaign started right back in the eighties with uh, Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. And I think in school they want to sanitize everything. They want to filter and, and, and keep it clean. Right. But I think we're at a point where we need to remove, you know, I think we've grown a society, you know, and grew into big issues. And so when you sanitize everything and pretend it's not there, right? You don't tell a brandy about withdrawals, about, you know, that potentially you could kill your father, potentially you can go to prison. And when you, when you don't do that, they're going to, they're going to discover it on their own. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we need to do better, whether it's in school or even parenting. And, and I think also taking accountability for oneself, right? I should be responsible for me, myself, Mm -hmm. with the help of my family and the help of school to support me and the teachers. So I think it's, you know, there's enough for all of us uh, to help each other and and create awareness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, another kid you had, uh, Enrique. So this kid's 21 and... And this is like, I think we, I don't know if this was on air or off air. We we're talking about though, how some people get on these pills for injuries and he started taking pain pills for a back injury from football. And he went from pain pills to, to blues to living on the streets. And, um, you know, and he had an interesting, you said advice for him. You asked him about his advice to people. And he said, if you're weak, if you're mama's boy, don't do it. Don't, don't take these drugs. I thought that was really interesting advice that, you know, he thought he felt like he was weak because he got addicted to him. But like I was saying earlier, I don't think it's a character defect. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, um, it's interesting the views and perspectives that these folks give you. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's validity there because he's obviously talking about himself. Mm -hmm. And so how many other people, other friends that he's seen that went down that route because of what he thinks are character flaws or whatnot. Right. And so, an update on this young man is a month after I talked to him, he went home and he told his parents to take him to treatment. They decided to take him to Mexico. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's been in Mexico since then. So now what, four months? In Mexico, it's not voluntary leave. You're oh. you're stuck. You're not leaving until okay. the program is done. Interesting. Yep. So you're so he's been there four months. Huh. It's a year long program. Uh, he's looking good, feeling good, and I can't wait for him. You know, if, if he ends up coming back, uh, I'll I'll try to talk to him. But I'm glad that having that conversation with me, maybe I planted a seed. You know, and and that's that's what absolutely I, that's one thing that I I I, I like is that. I tell them, maybe you're not ready today, but yes. maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, no, maybe that's, next year, you know, because that's crucial, right? Yeah. When they no. hear from a stranger. You're exactly right. That's what you're doing. That's what I love about your channel. If people check that out, 
is you really are. You're planting seeds. You're not judgmental. You're not saying you need to go to treatment. Why you're living on the streets, you loser. Like you're not attacking them. You're very uh, caring, and you offer to buy. I mean, you give them food and toiletries, and and uh, you offer to buy them lunch. And I mean, you're very kind and caring. And I and I think sometimes that can be enough, right? I mean, sometimes they just needed someone to to care, and then they're like, well, maybe I should take care of myself and try to get better. People have literally said. Hey, you know what? Thank you for talking to me. Usually people just ignore me. They spit on me. They call me names, get a job, you know, F you, you know, just bad things, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're being judged, right? And so that's unfortunate because that might have been me, myself, you know, uh, before I started doing this because we don't take time to understand what's going on Mm -hmm. with these people, right? Yeah. If we did take a little bit of time to understand and help in some way, we'd be less judgmental and maybe we could help some of these folks who have success stories like Enrique, like Jesus, yeah. you know? So no, that's interesting. I went to this like seminar one time and it was about uh, homelessness in, in Phoenix, Scottsdale area. And, uh, and they said that was the, one of the biggest things that, that they, they took away when talking to people is that they felt ignored. They felt like they, if you're homeless, you feel completely ignored. People do not want to look at you. And right. so if you just go up to them and they gave us these like goodie bags of like toiletries and things, and they say, you know, if you see some a homeless person, give them one of one of these and they'll be really appreciative. I, I discover that every single day, you know, they really appreciate you taking the time and giving them something that they need, you know, a toothbrush, a, a toothpaste. Uh, those are little essentials that I take for granted, you know, because right. it's right there. You know, I got to I have yeah. a home, but a lot of people don't have that. The basics, you know, well, so it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's like you're saying, um, that they're not, uh, that's not their top priority, right? It's like getting the blues and because if they don't get their pill, I mean, they're going to get sick and have these withdrawals. So that's number one priority. Then, then later down, you know, on the list is food, McDonald's, toiletries, you know, toothbrush, all that stuff. Right. That's exactly right. It's, you know, taking a shower is way down on the, on the list of essentials every single day. Yeah. Oh, this, this was another one that, um, this kid was so interesting. Eric, he's 21. Uh, he was with his girlfriend, Faith. He'd been taking blues since he was 15, dropped out of high school, smoked meth, doing all the stuff. Um, then he went to, he got sick and tired of uh, being sick and tired, which is the term I think I've heard from a lot of recovering people. And he went to rehab. And uh, I just thought this part was so interesting where he was talking about how he would wake up every day to the most beautiful sun. I mean, if, if you're not from Phoenix or I don't know if you like sunshine, but I mean, that's why I moved here is because we have the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets, beautiful weather, but he would wake up to the most beautiful sunrises in the worst places. He said he would wake up behind dumpsters and trash cans and things. And, you know, and it's like, that's the thing that finally woke him up. That was like, what am I doing? Exactly. Yeah. So I talked to him, gosh, about last, I think it was last month. I went out to, um, um, his mom's home where he's, going to treatment right every day kind of weaning off that methadone the clinic you know so he's doing a lot better looks a lot better his mind is back and um i did i plant a seed back then when i talked to him initially you know so maybe he said he said your videos really helped him his videos the videos helped and in the in my in the channel description he read that and he really appreciated that yeah. he said in the interview, you know, so power, uh, words have power, you know, power, and words have meaning. So you have, we have to be deliberate on, on what we say and, and how we say it to inspire and motivate these people to let oh. them know that they're worth more. That's so cool. Another thing he th- I thought that was so interesting 
is uh, <laughs> I mean, this is where you're at with these kids, with some of these kids. Like he goes, it's, it's one of those things that to me, it's like a thing where what, you know, what can, well, we can look at some of these cases. And, and one thing I think it can do for a regular person is just give them gratitude because he said that he looks forward to paying bills. And how many people complain about paying bills? This kid, he just wanted to pay bills. He wanted to be normal. Like it really it kind of made me like think, I was like, gosh, that's really interesting to hear that from someone who's been, you know, waking up behind a dumpster. And for him, like paying bills is like winning the lottery. Yeah, that's that, that perspective, right? That you and I are oblivious to. We have right. no idea, yeah. right? No. And just like he doesn't know what it means to pay bills, but he wants to because he right. knows that's that's accountability, yeah. that's responsibility. Things it's have normal, been lacking, right? Yeah. Normal. He wants it's to be a normal. normal. Thing. Yeah. What other cases stand out to you? Um, what else sticks out? Uh, I think when I do couples. Uh, when I interview uh-huh. couples, Yasmin and Orlando, um, sometimes I'm conflicted with couples because I kind of like when a when a female is with a guy like a boyfriend or somebody to protect her, right? Mm. But at the same time, are they enabling each exactly. other? Exactly. I was you thinking know? the same thing. Yeah. Are they enabling each other? They're not really helping each other out. They're helping each other to stay there because right. they're comfortable it's a comfort in, the, zone in that Unless safety. they both decide they want to, and that's is that. I'm assuming that's more rare. If they, I think it's rare. I yeah, because usually rare. one would say, "I want to get clean," and then I think it's rare to and be then honest with you. It would be hard to. They'd both always have that monkey on their back. Like if one of them falls into the trap, oh come on, let's just do one. You know, like right. right. It's know. tough. So it's, it's tough. those those uh, couples ones are really hard because uh, you know it's. It, it's just hard to get through them because you're, you're, you need to get through two people. Mm-hmm. You're not just trying to convince one person. Yeah. You're trying to convince two people to, you know, open right. up, be vulnerable and, and talk and, and, you know, change their life. Yeah. Some people, I mean, some of these people, they look so, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be like a, you know, a, a jerk here, but they look kind of strung out. Right. Like, and I'm not being facetious, but do you ever just give them like a mirror and say, look in the mirror? Like, I mean, that's one of those things you talk about. They don't have toiletries. They don't have, do they have mirrors? Like I remember I had a guy uh, uh, who's in a, who played in a pretty big metal band uh, here in Phoenix uh, on my show. And uh, he had started taking meth and he said one day he looked in the mirror and he didn't recognize himself. Like do these people, is that something that they, do they look in the mirror? Uh, yeah, they're, they're self-aware. Um, they're, they're self-aware. Um, they'll go to like, if I'm going to interview them, they'll go look in like a window, like a building really? a window and kind of look and, oh, my hair, you know, Hey, can I put makeup? I've had to wait like, you know, 15 minutes for somebody <laughs> to put makeup on. No, no really? lie. Yeah. So they're self-aware. Interesting. Some, some are totally out of it. Right. Uh, yeah. I just uploaded today. I uploaded crystal. She's, you know, she was not feeling well. And so she didn't care about her looks. Right. She, wow. she doesn't look good. She wasn't feeling good. And so, but there is that self-awareness. Because that can sometimes be a huge wake-up call, I would think, to, to look at yourself. and re- I, mean, cause, I mean, I'm serious. Like maybe some of them avoid looking at themselves or look in a mirror and then they look in a mirror and they might see. And, and that's the other question I had. Like when you, now when you interview them, are they, are, is it a mix? Like are, are they always, I mean, some of them must be high still or are they usually clean or is it, is it kind of 50-50 or what would you say when, you, when you're interviewing them? What is their state? Um, most, most of them are probably under the influence, whether they're coming off mm-hmm. or, okay. or they just, they just smoked it 15 minutes ago. But again, remember 
how long does it last for this person? Right. As opposed to that person, is it an hour, 30 minutes, 15 minutes? And how, when am I coming into the picture? Right. For, you know, five minutes after they smoked it or five minutes before they need their next one, you know? Right. So it's, it's all over the place, but I would say they're under the influence, but enough to function enough to walk, enough to talk, mm-hmm. enough to know what they're saying and um, give some kind of insight. Sometimes. Cause like, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the kids like, he like, he like lost track of the conversation. I forget which one, you know what I'm talking about? That one where he just goes, I'm sorry, what was the question? Like he was clearly on. So, and then I, it makes me wonder too, like, so how long, so, you know, you said the high only lasts 30 minutes or an hour or whatever, then how long until the withdrawals start to get really bad? Does it, would it be hours later or could it just be like 20 minutes? They start to, Oh, really? For some, again, it's, it's all about body composition and, you know, a lot of factors play into that, but to some people I'll, I'll ask them like how, you know, when do you start feeling sick? And, and some, some, I need them regularly because I don't want to feel that pain right? the cramps, the vomiting, the, this, the, that, you know? And so I, the the headaches, the, all that stuff I avoided because that's why I need uh, 50 a day because I'm trying to prevent from even the you know, from the, from it starting to begin with, right. The, the, um, withdrawals. So it's, it's all over the place for some people, you know, it mm-hmm. can't, you can't say 30 minutes before or after, yeah. you know, it's, it's all over the place. So it's, it's unfortunate and, um, they'll do anything. They'll, they'll go in a store and I've seen them go into circle K and they're coming out with, you know, they're loaded with, uh, with beer, you know, to sell for five bucks, you know, per, per a case of beer to just go get pills. So it's unfortunate, you know, so they're stealing the beer and then selling it. Yeah, it's mm. boosting. They call it boosting, right? They'll go into Walgreens and they'll get um, shampoo or diapers or whatever, you know, and then they'll sell it out for if the diapers were $20, they'll, they'll ask for $10 out in the street, you know, and unfortunately people do buy it. So um, that's, that's, so they're, well, street stores are taking a big loss for wow. sure. That's interesting. It's every day. So why is this topic not a bigger issue on the news? Like, I feel like, canceling people or COVID. I mean, there's all these other things that are just dominate the news. Why do you think, I mean, this is like an epidemic, not only of like of uh, the drug addiction, but the homelessness. I mean, these two of these, both of these issues are, are huge to me. I don't Why do you think it's not? And, and also people are, are dying. People are dying on the streets. That's a, that's a great question. I don't know. It's politics, obviously, but what about this? Nobody wants to touch, right? Where, but you have a police officer shoots, uh, you know, un, an unarmed young man. It's it makes you know headlines, you know, nationwide, or you know, um, it, I don't know. I, I I don't. I can't pretend to know, but it's unfortunate because people are dying. You uh-huh, know, I, uh-huh. I'm just I'm highlighting the people. The yeah. So two of the people that I've interviewed. So I've interviewed. I've talked to. So I've uploaded over 200 videos since last November when I started doing this. Okay, so I've talked to about 200 people. Two of those people are already deceased. Okay, Uh, one of them he just got arrested for murdering his father. Right, Uh, so that's three people. Right, just gone. They're you know, and and um, how many more do we have to lose? Yeah, these are young people. These are all people in their twenties. You know, and so uh, what do we have to do? That's why I'm trying to uh, sound the alarm. Uh, I've interviewed politicians. I've interviewed, uh, get on podcasts and, and and talk to people, mothers. And I think my community, I'm building a community and to create that awareness across uh, the valley, the state and uh, nationally. Because, again, what comes here first 
it's going to get spread out across the, uh-huh. the, the nation, right? So yeah. um, we need definitely need to bring awareness to, you know, what do we do? What's the yeah, plan? Cause, so I saw this statistic. Um, I don't even have the most up-to-date ones, but in 1999, there were 6,000 OD deaths, 4,000 uh, pharmaceuticals, 2,000 uh, heroin. And then in 2016, there was 50,000 OD deaths, 14... Uh, 14,500 pharmaceutical, 15,500 heroin, and then 20,000 fentanyl. And I'm sure those numbers are like through the roof now, five years later after 2016. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know like how many people have to die. It's just, it's really, it's shocking and and sad. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that those are shocking numbers and you know, who suffers is the mom, the family, right? Because it's not just the, the addict down the street that I'm interviewing. Mm -hmm. There's a family behind that young man or young woman, right? There's so it's, so when they pass away or they get locked up or they're missing, that's a shattered family. And so again, that's why we need to get together and uh, communicate, talk, what do we do? What are the answers and, and try to fix it, you know, but if, if we're going to stick our head in the sand and pretend it's not there, it just grows. Uh, I've heard that during COVID last year, the cartels didn't stop, right? America stopped, right? Mm-hmm. But the co- cartels didn't. So they, so less law enforcement because we're, we're law enforcement is focusing on social issues and the social unrest and all that. But guess what? The drug epidemic was growing even stronger and the cartel saying, thank you. You know, thank you for the, 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 the economic, um, uh, viability that we have because we're focusing on other things, you know? So, um, I wish uh, this topic would gain just a fraction of the attention that some of these other, right. you know, just, we just need yeah. a fraction of it and we could save some lives. Right. I, I mean, and it's funny because, uh, not funny. It's just ironic too, because there's even been so many big name people have been affected by this. I mean, Prince, who I just uh, I interviewed a, a biographer on on him. He's you know Prince read his book, his biography. He's an interesting guy, but he he died from uh, opiate uh, abuse. Uh, Tom Petty, I was told. I, I didn't know that. That's I, you know, I guess I did. Maybe I did know that. Philip Seymour Hoffman, amazing actor. River Phoenix. I mean, that was an older one. That might be some people don't know who he is, but he was he was a really bright, up and coming young star would have been huge movie star. I mean, way bigger than he was cause he died so young. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then the rock stars, I mean, that's just, uh, that's like a full hour to, to, to go through all right. those. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And I feel like it's, there's so many ways that need, you know, you could try the things, stop some of the stuff at the border. But I mean, I feel like you almost need to hit this stuff in the schools to, to teach kids not to even try it. Like we were saying earlier, it's like really more of a preventative thing with education by maybe having to show them some videos on your channel or, or, you know, like maybe some of these kids come in or that have been recovered or uh, maybe is there a video of people going through withdrawals so that kids can see what this looks like. I used to work in a a methadone clinic actually. So I've, I've seen, and I've seen that it's, it's like the worst flu and that's how they describe it. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, prevention through awareness, right? So I'll thank the people that I talk to and once I tell them what I'm doing, they're more open, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. What, do you want your little brother out here? Of course not. They say, okay, well, how about you sharing your story to help save a life out there, prevent them from even trying it? And they're like, yeah, you have a good point, definitely. So prevention through awareness, and that's what we need to do and uh, uh, talk to them younger. 
talk to them in elementary school, right? Because even, mm-hmm. you know, if the, we, these folks are telling me if there's 11, 12, 13 year olds out there, that means we got to go even younger to yeah. elementary and talk to them about the realities that are out mm-hmm. there waiting for them and what to stay away from. Right. Just, you know, educating them. Knowledge well, is power. And, and I think, yeah, and I think it needs to be transparency. And that's the one thing that I never understood. So when I was a kid, I remember going to the dare classes and it was all the stuff about don't do drugs, don't do drugs. And I was like, and they just kept saying how bad drugs were and all this stuff. And I was like, well, then I don't understand why would anyone ever do drugs if they're bad? Like why, why they didn't, they never told you that, oh, people get a high and there's a euphoria. Like, just be completely honest. Like, yes, you will get a euphoria. You'll get a 15 minute high or whatever it is. And then this is what's going to happen on the other side of that. Like, and you know, then you can weigh the costs and benefits for yourself. But I think most people would probably choose not to do that if they knew the, the, the transparency of it. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, when you hide something, people become curious, right? You tell mm-hmm. them not to do it, they become curious because exactly. we all have that rebel yeah. side to us, right? Yeah. So if you, so I like that what you're saying. Be transparent. Here's a you know, 15, 20, 30 minute high. You're gonna feel great, amazing, mm-hmm. according to these folks, right? Yeah. But but look, you're gonna lose your teeth. You're gonna lose your life. Yeah. You're gonna lose your friends. You're gonna lose your family. Is it worth it? You could die. You could you could commit a murder and end up in jail for the rest of your life. Like, is that worth it? For a 15 minute high. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Ultimately comes down to us as individuals making the best decisions possible, but we need to have the best information possible to be well-informed. And I think as a society we're lacking, right? Because we're not giving everybody all the information, giving them bits and pieces or they're learning from TV or shows or movies or, you know, so I think we need to be honest upfront and we're at that point. Or if not, we're going to continue losing Mm -hmm. people. Well, I just, you know, one of the things I highlight on my show all the time is just, I always feel like, and I tell this to everybody, I feel like everyone has a purpose on this earth. It's to do something. And, uh, you know, if you haven't figured it out yet, keep trying. But I think everyone has something that they should be striving for. And that's why I end each episode, I say, shoot for the moon, right? Because that's what kind of my saying, like, I think everybody should just try to follow their dreams or whatever. And like that one kid, you know, he wanted to be an FBI agents profile. I mean, everybody's got something that, and I feel like maybe that's the other thing piece of the coin is like, if kids had something that they were focused on, Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go do this. So I don't have time to do blues. You know, that's going to get in the way of what I want to accomplish, which is, you know, every kid wants to be a YouTuber like you now. So you're the perfect <laughs> example to show them, Hey, you know, you could be a YouTuber. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it's sad to see this, but I think you're doing some amazing work and, um, and the other thing people can do if they want to help is they can donate to your lost in Phoenix charity, correct? Right. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got approved by the Arizona corporation commission. Uh, my nonprofit was approved. So, um, I'll be unveiling all the information soon, Okay, but basically lost in Phoenix is now a nonprofit, uh, um, sanctioned by the state of Arizona. And, uh, it's going to allow me to take this message to a bigger stage and really help out more than just interviewing and creating awareness. Now it's going to be able to go, go bigger. Right. So, uh, I appreciate um, you bringing that up and, uh, I'll, awesome. you know, I'll, I'll keep you updated. Yeah. So, well, is there a website where people can, or what, how can they donate now at this point? Is our website ready to go or is that still in construction? It's still in construction. Okay. I do have it. It's uh, 90% done. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but I'll be unveiling that okay. in, on, on my, but, uh, okay. But otherwise people could, uh, they can call you and, 
Um, how do you, cause you get donations for uh, toiletries, clothes, food, all that. How do, if people wanted to give you that kind of stuff, is there somewhere they can drop that off or? Sure. On my YouTube channel, uh, lost in Phoenix in the about or channel description. Oh, I'll put is, this in the show notes, yep, your address yep. and all that stuff. The, yeah. Okay. The, the address is there. And then the, um, PayPal cash okay, app. Yeah. People will send $20. Hey, yep. please buy this person lunch. So. Yes. And then what, and I like what you'll do. You'll put that in the video. And so that you'll, they'll know that you know, the person is actually getting the the money or the, um, whatever you, whatever they've asked you to give them. So that's very cool that you do that. And I will put that in the show notes. So people want to help out some of these kids and definitely everyone should check out your YouTube channel and watch a couple of these videos. I told my girlfriend yesterday to watch some and, uh, I went out for like, I came back like an hour later, she was hooked. So, <laughs> you know, you just get, you, you get lost in Phoenix yourself watching these and getting wrapped up in their stories. Cause I think that's the one thing that we forget. I mean, these are human beings on the street and, and I'm probably guilty of that too, you know, just thinking, gosh, what's with all these homeless people? This is ridiculous. But, and that's why I think I'm so fascinated by this topic because it's just, I don't understand how we just allow this to happen. I don't understand why we're just letting people live on the streets. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like there should be some sort of solution. And like I said, I haven't seen it from any politicians. So I think what you're doing is at least highlighting it and showing it and uh, shining a light on it. And so I think that's at least that's the first step. And like you said, um, now you got a nonprofit that you can do bigger things. It's exciting. So yeah, definitely. And so, uh, when I see little, uh, young kids, I'm like, you know, how many of these people, you know, they have hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. how many will realize them, but how many be out there in the street? And I don't want that, you know, let, we don't want the next generation for me to be interviewing them out there, you know, mm-hmm. let them live their dreams, let them live their lives, be children and, uh, live for their dreams basically. Right. So, um, but highlighting these stories is very important because you're doing your part. I'm doing mine and, uh, to get some notoriety behind what's going on here in Phoenix. Absolutely. And I think it's not just Phoenix too. And I think that's why people are watching from all over the country and the world. I think you said, right? Yeah. I've had, uh, people in Australia mm. and just all these countries that I'm, I didn't think it was going to get to this point, but uh, people do care because it's about humanity, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's not, Oh, look at those crazy Americans. No, those are humans, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, we all can get lost and then we all have compassion for them. So yeah. uh, that's something I've learned in this, this past year, be more compassionate towards your fellow man. Absolutely. Well, you're doing some great work and I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, we'll get this out real soon. Thank you, Chuck. All right. Thank you. Well, it's a tough subject, uh, but something that needs to be talked about. And I'm glad that there are people out there like Art who are shining a light on the issue and hopefully educating people and perhaps even inspiring some people to take action. And I hope Art uh, will come on the show again. I really enjoyed our conversation. I wanted to say that he's one of the nicest guests that I've ever had on the show. And then I remembered, I think I said that about another guest. So I don't know who's the nicest, but he's definitely in the top five. Uh, definitely check out his YouTube channel, Lost in Phoenix, and subscribe to it. And if you can, uh, send some money or some supplies to help out. I think that's a really cool thing that he's doing, and he will show a video of him delivering those things, so you know it's going to the to the real uh, cause. He's not taking a, anything off the top. So the links are in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this interview and you want to support the show, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. That will help me out a lot. Also, your likes, shares, and comments on both YouTube and social media help me out. And finally, if you have a couple extra minutes, if you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps uh, the podcast go up into the charts so that more people can find the show and we can get this message out to more people. So thank you again to Art for doing my show. And thank you all for listening. 
Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.